Welcome to Parent to Parent, real-life tips to raise resilient kids. A podcast from Communities That Care of Greater Downingtown. This is Chrissy Jambowski, and I have two young kids. And I'm Beth Ann Sinelli, and I have two adult kids. Together, we'll meet with experts and fellow parents to share personal stories and provide support and actionable steps to strengthen your family and raise healthy kids. We're glad you're here. Let's get started. Welcome to Parent to Parent. This is Chrissy. And this is Beth Ann. And today we are super excited because we're joined by two of our colleagues and partners with the Downingtown Area School District who are going to help us find the helpers in a school setting and particularly in the Downingtown Area School District. And we have Sarah Brooks, a returning podcaster person. Yep. And Sarah's joining us again as the lead student assistant specialist K-12 for the Downingtown Area School District. And we're super excited to welcome for the first time, and hopefully we'll have also return, a podcast with Mary Wallen. And Mary is the K-12 uh, department leader for school counselors. And we're really excited to have Sarah and Mary here today because frequently we ha- there are many, many questions about who do we contact if we have questions uh, for ourselves or our children in the district. And what's the process and what do these folks do? Because they have, they may appear to have similar roles, although different titles. So today is sort of like a Mr. Rogers neighborhood for us. We're going to talk about who are the helpers in our school community. So thank you. So welcome, Sarah. Welcome, Mary. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So to start, could each of you tell us a little bit about your role at DASD and your staff and what it is that you all do? Mary, you want to start? Yeah, I think um, that's usually how we tag team (laughs) because school counselors work with all students. And so um, we have 37 school counselors here in Downingtown, one at each of our elementary schools, three at each of our middle level schools, seven at our two comprehensive high schools and four at the STEM Academy. Um, And so school counselors are that first level of support when you think of, hey, I need to talk to somebody. I'm worried about my kid. Reaching out to the school counselor is usually a great place to start because school counselors coordinate and consult and work with all players. So administrators, um, teachers, support staff, parents, um, we we kind of wear many hats and we like that. We like that we wear many hats. Uh, that's no two days are the same and, and that's, that's how we like it. Um, and so we are always kind of focusing in three areas, how a student is functioning academically, how they're functioning social, emotionally, and then um, what are their career and long-term goals? What are their post-secondary plans? That is what we're always pointing them towards because that's what guidance counselors, which is the, we don't use that anymore. We don't say guidance counselor anymore. We say school counselors now because back in the day, guidance counselors came out of actually World War II when we had all these young men that needed jobs. And so schools realized they needed to help them find jobs and help them prepare for the workforce. They were guiding them to a job. Um, And so yes, career counseling is still a big part of what we do, but we all know now that a student needs so much more than just career and college and post-secondary planning. They still need academic support in during the school day, um, whether that's connecting them with resources, tutors, services, looking at their schedule, and then obviously the social emotional part. And I think every counselor in our district would say the lion's share of what we do is the social emotional support for students. Um, and so, you know, what we love most is that we work with with all students. Every student, regular ed or special ed, has a school counselor. Um, and, and that's our favorite part of, of the job for sure, is that we're here to meet the needs of all students, behaviorally, emotionally, um, mm. academically. Um, life goals, um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. That is uh, what we're we're here to help with. I didn't know and I that. Guess with that. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know that, like, guidance counselor background, the little history lesson. That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't either. But I'm really glad Mary did that because I think historically, especially my generation and probably for parents even still yeah. today, there's sort of this like confusion about they still see it basically as they're going to help you write your application to get into yeah, college. Yeah. And, you know, or something like, and, and it kind of, and so the identity, I think there's been a little bit of an identity crisis, but now you definitely have a well, much more robust role. I'm preparing for that. And I'll just speak to this really quick because I reflect on that a lot that most parents did not have a school counselor or 
that if they did, they didn't have a relationship with them. And so our goal K to 12 is to have a relationship with all of our students. That is that is first and foremost, because we believe that if students have a safe and caring adult at school, that they are more likely to come to school and they are more likely to ask access resources um, and get help when they need it. So um, the role is completely different, completely different. I mean, even if you went to school in the 90s and early 2000s, yeah. that is not what this role was. Most people cannot say who their school counselor was. So true. Um, and so there's a bit of this confusion and sometimes there's a stigma to it as well, because we, my students actually will say this here sometimes, well, you're an administrator. Absolutely not. We are part of the same DAE contract here in Downingtown. We are, we are colleagues and counterparts to our teachers, um, and so that gets gray for families as well, because school counselors will call about failing grades or they'll call about behavior issues in an effort to try to put some supports in place. And sometimes people confuse that with an administrator role. Um, and that is absolutely not part of what we do. We do not hand out discipline. Um, we do not hand out consequences. We are not part of that, that meeting. We will support kids after or during that process. Um, but we are, are not ones that are communicating policies um, and making sure that those things are being upheld. Uh, we are truly the uh, a position in a school that is purely to advocate for students. Um, we are student advocates first and foremost. And sometimes that's advocating to their parents. Sometimes that's advocating to their peers. Sometimes that's advocating to their teachers. Yeah. And I will say too, like this past fall in the elementary school that my children attend, um, that's not in Downingtown, it's in a different district, but I worked very closely with our school counselor there and my kids now are, are in the same elementary school right now. And just the support that she gave to my family and my kids is specifically one of my kids and coordinated with the nurse, with her teacher, with the principal, so he knew what was going on. Like all of those supports in place, like truly, like just made such a difference. And I'm so, we're, our family is so thankful for and so grateful mm. for. Awesome, that's so great to hear. Yeah. Sarah, you want to tell us about you and your prevention specialists? Sure, um, I can do that. And I think actually what you just shared kind of highlights an important piece, though, in the fact that the, the title prevention specialist, I think, is often a little bit misleading for people. Um, we're probably more often associated with intervention specialists or in some buildings, probably more crisis response, to be truthful. Um, but I think the other piece to know, especially if you are somebody who is not a Downingtown resident or maybe your child is in a non-pub or something of that nature, Different school systems have sort of different systems of support, and so you may hear something here that doesn't necessarily translate to another school environment. Mm -hmm. So the title prevention specialist is kind of unique to Downingtown. Um, it's very much, I think, a public health and a prevention title, but it's not so much an educational title, um, and most of our counterparts in neighboring districts typically have different titles, if we're honest. Um, so we, at this point in time, in contrast to as many school counselors as we have, I think we have 13 prevention specialists currently in the district, K through 12. Um, we have five at the elementary level, so they are split one to two buildings, essentially. And they actually do parallel or their scheduled years and other pupil services role, the behavior specialist. So in each of our 10 elementary schools, there are teams of both prevention specialists and behavior specialists who typically are working more often with what I would say are tier two or tier three students. Um, Mary described a little bit about sort of tier one and the fact that school counselors work with all students. The prevention specialists are not likely working with all students. Um, and I would say similarly, our behavior specialists aren't necessarily working with all students either. Um, our prevention specialists typically are working with our more significant emotional or behavioral needs. So students who may be struggling with significant mental health at our high school level, maybe some significant drug and alcohol issues. They work very closely with teaching staff as well as school counselors, administration and families. At the elementary level, I would say they are running um, a fair number of support groups or psychoeducational support groups as do our school counselors. At our middle school level, it's probably less in the way of group support and more in the way of individualized support as well as conducting or co-facilitating sometimes suicide screenings and assessments. Um, we also have a role in our threat assessment teams as well. 
And then I would say at our middle school and high school level, the big part of our role is also to help triage students who may be experiencing some level of emotional crisis. We are often connecting with students and families who are looking for services in the community. Mm. Um, and then we are also working with students who are, to be truthful, often in and out of school for treatment-related reasons. So if you have a student who is in a partial program, which we can talk about later, mm. or a student who's hospitalized for a period of time, a lot of times the prevention specialist is going to be your point of contact in the building to try and help from an attendance perspective as well as academic perspective, um, but then also helping to transition plan when that student is ready to return. So that is probably in a nutshell the work that we do. We also have a role in uh, some of our universal screening tools like Review 360 for parents who are listening, depending on where your children attend school, they may have participated in taking our universal screening tool, the Review 360 Best Screener. Um, and so a lot of times our prevention specialists are working very closely with our school counseling teams to try and identify students who may be at risk and then to put plans in place to, to support them. Um, so that's probably the short, short version on what our work looks like. We Can you explain what that tool is, that 360 tool is, Sarah? I don't know what that is. That's probably a whole other session. <laughs> Real quick. Uh, uh, the Review 360 or Best Screener is a universal screening tool that we now are doing grades three through nine. Um, nine was initially piloted at the STEM Academy. Um, and I believe in the foreseeable future, there may be an opportunity to do that in some of our comprehensive high schools. But it is a, it's a, it's a rating scale that students will take and it basically helps to identify if they have any type of internalizing or externalizing emotional or behavioral concerns. Nice. Um, so once the students have participated in that tool on the school-based side of the conversation, then we're identifying what to and interventions would help that student to, to make progress. Oh, I love that. So then you can kind of get a sense of like which kids you want to maybe keep tabs on a little bit more and just yep. that and really early, which I really like. Yeah. That's yeah. nice. Um, Sarah, you mentioned the behavior, the behavior specialist. Mm -hmm. um, just, and I know we're not going to be talking in great detail about other roles, but I kind of feel like, you know, this, this team approach with all of these conversations that we're having, that there is often more than one person, you know, that's in these conversations, right? Um, just some of the other folks that might be at a building. So, like, where are the how many? Where are the behavior specialists? Um, and are there any other titles of folks out there that a parent might get an email from, or a phone call from, or show up to a meeting, and oh, they are for maybe the first time realizing that there's these other people that are part of their, you know, their child's conversation. Sure. Um, and Mary, feel free to jump in and highlight anything that I've missed. Um, we do have five behavior specialists at this point in time. Um, they are really exclusively at the elementary level um, because not surprisingly, we see a lot of kids at the elementary level who may be experiencing emotional challenges, but it, the display looks different than our high school kids, right? There may be more behavioral outbursts and things of that nature. Um, the behavior specialists are often working, they're, they're providing group instruction and really working with school-based teams to develop appropriate behavior plans to help support students. Um, beyond the behavior specialists, and there's one for every two buildings, so it's the same ratio um, as the prevention specialists at the elementary level. Then our school psychologists, I don't know off the top of my head how many we currently have. I think we might have 14. Um, our school psychologist's role in the Downingtown Area School District, um, I think they probably would like to be able to do more than what they're doing, but in most instances, they are responsible for evaluating students for special education services and really making a determination as to whether or not a student is, is eligible for special ed. So you might receive communication from the school psychologist because the school-based team thinks that we should be evaluating your student or your student may have been evaluated and the school psych might be providing the evaluation report, which basically describes your student's strengths and, and needs but also qualifies them for certain services. Um, I, think, I think they probably would like to be doing in some instances more than what they're able to, but because of the volume um, in a lot of instances, their, their role is really heavily involved with testing. Um, yeah. And then we have common school visitors as well in the school district. Um, and they're really responsible for attendance as well as guardianship, residency, homelessness. Um, one serves grades 
seven through 12, if my memory is correct, and the others are in grades K through six, as well as DCA. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of times there's some overlap to be truthful between like, our counselors, our prevention specialists, possibly our home and school visitor. We yeah. may be sharing a lot of students. Mm -hmm. It's not uncommon if there's yeah. a lot of things going on. Um, and then there's probably beyond that more people I could include, like our supervisors with special ed and our, yeah. I'm not going to talk about 504s because I don't think that's the purpose of this conversation, but <laughs> yeah. um, that's probably uh, nursing staff is obviously also considered sure. part of people services staff. So yeah. um, those are the short version of the different roles that we yeah, when I think about what each student has, each student has a school counselor, a prevention specialist, a school nurse, um, a school psychologist, should their level of support warrant that kind of data collection. Mm -hmm. um, the behavior specialist, the mental health specialist, a lot of those roles are accessed through an IEP or a 504 plan. Um, but we have, so essentially what Sarah is saying, like we have all these tiers of support and, yeah. and help that most people would never know about. Mm. Um, because that is not how school was structured 20 right. years ago. Right. Um, you wouldn't know that there's these entire teams of student support staff um, in every building that meet regularly to look at data um, because that's another piece is that we talk about data in education. There is behavioral data, social, emotional data, academic data that this team is constantly looking at because we know that attendance impacts um, achievement. We know that behavior impacts achievement. We know that home life being kind of crummy mm -hmm. impacts achievement. Mm -hmm. And so we have all these people that play different roles. Sometimes the school nurse is the one that alerts us sure. that something's going on with a kid. Sometimes it's an attendance flag. So if we didn't take this comprehensive approach to each individual child of let's look at all of your information, this is the team that that does that. Sure, teachers are looking at reading data and math data and they need to, but that's what they need to look at. We need to look at all of this other stuff and collect our data. Sometimes teachers are noticing so-and-so is not coming to school today or a few days in a row they've worn the same clothes. Mm. They seem really hungry. They're asking for a lot of snacks. Yeah. Their attendance is getting mm -hmm. wonky, right? So like yeah. the roles that my my role and Sarah's role play on these individual teams is that of piecing some of this together. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. school counselors and prevention specialists, well, man, we spend a lot of time together yeah. um, because we are looking at it from different lenses and have different pieces of information. We're, school counselors are so heavily reliant on the mental health expertise of our prevention specialists, but also their knowledge of our community-based supports. And so yeah. because of yeah. that knowledge base, I'm looking at the kid during the school day and the things that impact him or her during the school day. Um, and so when we come together, we really are able to get a full picture of how to best support a child. This is it's extremely helpful because Mary, I think you said it perfectly. It's just, a, it's a different structure. It's a really different environment than it was. Um, you know, even like Sarah's like, you know, you don't have to go back that far in, mm -hmm. in school culture history to, to say, Hey, these, these services, these folks, they did not exist. And probably what folks recognize are the two people that have been around historically were a guidance counselor and a school nurse. And that was, and that was it. So it can be confusing. And that is a perfect lead in to the question that I get to ask, um, both of you next, because you know, there's always this sort of, so why did that happen? Like what, what's been the increase in need? Like, you know, we could, I mean, that would, this would certainly be um, multiple podcasts about why there's been this increase. But I think um, in the time that we have today is to talk a little bit about those trends because, you know, there had to be a need and trends that led us to, because this is typically what happens, right? I mean, we know that we should have certain things in place, but typically we don't have them in place until the data tells us the numbers are going up. Things are getting worse. There's this tragedy or this trauma or this event. So then, of course, schools, like everybody, kind of figure out, okay, what do we need to put in place? So we're kind of curious now to talk about those trends that both of you are seeing among students, both in terms of mental health and social emotional, which we just talked a lot about, but also trends around substance use and just in general, any behavioral things in general terms, and that could be challenges that you see that students are facing that have increased, but perhaps it could also be some positive 
you know, what are some things that have improved as you, like Sarah said, you know, like 15, 16 years in the Downingtown Area School District. And Mary, I'm not sure how many years you've been in, because I know, Mary, you were mm-hmm. in a different, you were in a school counseling only, right, role yeah. before you moved into um, the role that you have now sort of working mm-hmm. with all of the counselors. So we're kind of looking at trends, looking at some of these challenges of youth. And then um, also, if you have any like, well, this was kind of a positive thing that I've noticed sure. in my 15 years. I'll go, I'll take the, uh, I'll take the social emotional side, Sarah, and you can, you can handle the substance <laughs> use question. <laughs> um, I'll be as brief. I'll be brief. It's not a brief topic at all. Um, and we also have the mitigating circumstance that was COVID-19. Right. So before COVID, we were seeing high levels of anxiety and stress, um, depression in students, um, that has only increased because of now them living through such an uncertain time. Um, their resiliency skills were completely deplete, depleted, it seems, at times. And yeah. so I feel like a lot of the work that I do is around resiliency and grit um, and helping kids persevere because the anxiety is, is, is very present. Um, some of that is because we, we live in a very high achieving area with very high expectations. I'm a counselor at the STEM Academy. That's, uh, in and of itself, an example of, of where we as a community chose to go. Um, but then we have to be prepared for what the fallout is. So asking such high expectations and, and our other two, through two high schools have very similar programming opportunities. So these students are at those two high schools as well. But these high expectations of achievement were asking of brains that are not even close to being fully developed. Mm. And so if you don't have coping skills to deal with these high expectations and there's not a resiliency bank built, um, there's a lot of anxiety and anxiety is is sort of the, the symptom of that. What I will say is that more and more students are seeking help and accessing resources. Um, and I think Sarah would agree with, with that, that there seems to be a, more of a normalcy and normalizing going yeah. to the counseling office um, and talking about your mental health. Um, that's what our Avedum clubs are, are doing, a beautiful job at all three high schools. Hype is doing a great job. Um, we have other programs called Morgan's Message, things that kids are doing to really bring the conversation about mental health to the forefront. And when we have found time and time again that when another student says, yeah, I struggle with that, too, it it just takes away that stigma versus the adults constantly wanting to talk about it. So I think those partnering with our students to give them a voice to share their story uh, has been something that I've absolutely see change in my six years here at STEM. I was three years prior at uh, West Bradford Elementary. So I have the the elementary and the high school background. So um, yes, when we talk about mental health, yep, it's here. We see it. We do it every day. Um, we're always supporting that. But I do think that kids are doing uh, some of the positives are that they are mm-hmm. um, willing to be vulnerable. They're willing to share their story. Um, and they're really willing to lean on some of the, the experts in the building. That's cool. Thanks, Mary. And I do think, Mary, that that norm, a good thing, um, and that we've, we've heard this in previous podcasts, has been a little um, students being more comfortable with the conversations around mental health and being very supportive of each other. But I think that we'll also, and I don't know, Sarah has been someone who is, um, who reminds me of this quite frequently. And at the same time, then, our students are also sort of caring a lot on them as, you know, as students become more comfortable sharing this and put that on their friends then we also have to think about are their friends able to handle that and then also get the help because that's, I think it'd be a little, and I think about that with my own children in their twenties now that when you have friends and you, you know, you, you care about them, you want to support them, you want to be there for them. And they're sharing some really like heavy information and, and life experiences that then they know what to do with that too. So I think um, this is kind of where we are with, with, with students um, and having those conversations. Thanks. And Sarah, your perspective on this? I have lots of perspective. I mean, I think it's true. I mean, on one hand, when I think back to when I first started in this school district, 
there was at that time no emotional support program in the building that I was working. And there was no, uh, one of the roles that Mary talked about, but we didn't talk extensively about was the mental health therapists that work with our ES programs through the IU. Um, so they are only there for students who are identified with that need. But regardless, at the time, that wasn't there. Um, yeah. So like when I look across the trajectory and I think about the landscape and how it's changed and also the opportunities, you know, some of the other places where I think people can also get help um, in terms of just even like the community and, and the fact that things like text talk lines and things of that nature are more yeah. accessible. Um, safe to say when that was first rolled out a couple of years ago and we continue to partner with, you know, we see a lot of referrals that come in on safe to say, whether it be peers worried about another student or parents who are worried about a student and don't know where to go with it. Um, so when I look at it from that perspective, I'm like, man, a lot has changed in, in the 15 or 16 years that I've been here. Um, you know, I think there's a, a level of mental health and emotionality that, as Mary said, you know, some of it looks some of it looks different post-COVID. I'm going to argue in some places, some of it's always been here, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in my experience, in my time working in the district, I've always kind of worked with students who were really struggling with very significant mental health or, or potentially drug and alcohol issues. I think um, this community, not unlike a lot of communities, you know, we still sort of find ourselves in a place where I think for as much as mental health is uh, a widely spoken topic, I think we still struggle to sort of like bring the elephant in the room <laughs> out of the corner so about the drug yeah. 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 Um, You know, yeah. I think that's a piece of the puzzle that people still really have a hard time kind of acknowledging or, or wanting to sort of be open about. Um, I think some of the positive post-pandemic in my mind, I guess, are, you know, we do, we are fortunate in our area and in comparison to some other areas, like we have a ton of resources. Now, do we have enough? No. Um, Are the waiting lists ridiculous? Yes. Um, But I will also say like, we are an area that's very blessed to have a lot of resources when it comes to mental health and and truthfully drug and alcohol. Um, There are a lot of quality providers out there. I will be honest when I say there are a lot of quality providers that are unfortunately are private pay and that's not cool. Um, And definitely a limitation. Yeah. Um, I do think telehealth, which obviously like the mental health community really rallied around COVID and beyond because we needed to make services available to students and families that weren't in person. I think having that option to, to receive has been a, a benefit. And I know plenty of students and families who've continued to engage in treatment mm-hmm. via telehealth. Um, so, I mean, there are positives in that direction. That being said, though, we, we certainly still see, at least amongst my team and, and the group of students that we serve, we still see, you know, some kids who are really struggling with some very significant mental health yeah. issues and kids who are truthfully in and out of school at various times for treatment related reasons and, and really having a hard time. Um, but I, I say that also knowing, I don't think that is exclusive to this area. I mean, yeah, the grocery store and standing in the checkout line and you'll see like the magazine of like time or Newsweek or whatever and the mental health crisis. So, oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's absolutely. That's so true. Um, and I think that that's, that's it, important also, Sarah, to your point that um, this whole, it, it can't be this, well, what's wrong with our district? It, it's not what's wrong with our district. And it's, you know, as you said, we, I can talk to friends who are teaching and working in other states. And I would swear they were sitting, you know, on a phone call with us and working with us because they're, they're having the same experiences um, no matter where they are. So it's not anything that's wrong. I think it's just universally what's happening right now. And, you know, trying to figure out, Sarah, as you said, that's a conversation in itself is, is trying to figure out the why behind that and what are all of those contributing factors to that. Um, it, we're sort of at the point now where we don't have the luxury to kind of do much about that. We're, we're sort of just dealing with what is and what's showing up and what's happening on a daily basis. Um, and to kind of go back and deal with what's underneath the iceberg is the complicating piece because that takes some major shifts in, you know, whether it's academic shifts, it's culture shifts, it's expectation shifts that we're, that's real hard 
Not that what we're doing on the on the end of like fixing an airplane and flight, that's hard too. But that other conversation, sadly, the one that needs to be had and adjusted, we're I'm not so confident we're gonna we're gonna see that anytime soon. So we wanted to use the second half to give kind of real life scenarios and examples. So we're gonna take a quick break and then we are going to ask Sarah and Mary all of the what it what it could have should have what should I be doing if XYZ. So we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. Chrissy, is that you? Cheryl, oh my gosh, how are you? Good. I was just thinking about you. I've been missing the days when we used to hang out with the kids. Ugh, I miss those days too. Parenting isn't getting any easier. I wish I could connect with other parents like I used to. Have you heard that our CTC parent to parent peer support groups are ready to start? They are? Tell me more. Well, CTC already does a lot for parents and youth in the Downingtown community. Now they're starting parent support groups. Would you like to come with me? There's a new topic each month, and it will be a relaxed and casual conversation guided by a parenting professional. I'm expecting it to be much better than searching on Google for an hour. Oh, you do that too? Yes, I'd love to join you. Fantastic. I'll text you the link, but it's easy to remember. It's dtownctc.org. Then click the Parent to Parent tab and choose Peer Support Groups. Listen, I got to run, but let's definitely plan to go together to the next session. That sounds great. I'm so glad I saw you today. I'll look for your text for the info about the parent to parent peer support group. Okay, we are back. And so in this second half, we wanted to focus on real life situations and a true how to find the helpers, right? Because you all are the helpers in our district. Um, so we are going to give you some scenarios and you tell us what a parent should do in that situation. So here's the first scenario I have for you both to think on and tell us all the answers to. Um, so first, who would a parent go to if their child is in, say, early grades, like kindergarten to sixth grade, elementary school, maybe the sixth grade center, um, and they seem to be having emotional difficulties? And the parent might be not sure if that child maybe needs professional help or how to manage this. What would you recommend a parent to do? So the way we like to tag team here in Downingtown is that the school counselors like to get eyes on um, those students first. So parents should feel like they can call their child's school counselor anytime. Um, you, there is no prerequisite to get a meeting with your school counselor. They are a person just like your, you think of them as on your child's team. Every child has a team. So team Sally is everyone on that kid's team. That's all of her teachers at the sixth grade center and her school counselor. Um, and for some kids, their team is a little bit bigger because over the years we've learned we need to provide more supports for that kid. But everybody starts with a team. And so the school counselor sort of functions before a student might be identified. They really function as the case manager for that student um, all through school. And so I would say, hey, give your school counselor a call. Tell them what you're seeing at home because sometimes that matches with what we're seeing at school but most times it does not and that is where that communication is so essential because i want to hear what you're what you're hearing at home why is that child catastrophizing everything that happened at school when they are not presenting as having any issues here at school they have friends they participate in class they're engaged in extracurricular activities um why is that the case and like let's talk through that or sometimes Parents will say, um, this is going on, and then we'll come back and be like, well, we are observing this and this, but we couldn't understand why. Closing that communication gap is so important. And so after that conversation, the school counselor is going to make a decision. Um, they're going to decide, is this a student that I need to start collecting data on, get more information about? Is this a student that I can just start checking in with regularly, getting to build, start building a relationship with them, building a rapport? Or is this a student that these sound kind of some like some serious concerns? I'm going to bring in our prevention specialist and we're going to see about how we can best support um, the student because maybe the student's already in outside therapy or maybe they need help finding outside therapists or, you know, that's some that's sort of this dance that we do with with every individual student so sometimes i'll give my prevention specialist a heads up hey i talked to so and so about this today um, i'm going to meet with them a few times but they might be coming your way um 
Sometimes there's things that families will share with us that's a direct referral to the prevention specialist, but each student we kind of gauge um, differently based on their needs. I don't know if there's anyone to add to that. Well, I was going to say, I think the only thing that I would add, and I know it, it varies building by building, I'm just going to be honest, but I, I will say in general, I think our prevention specialists often work very closely with a number of community providers. And so in the instance where it does look like a child is going to benefit outside of school or a therapist or some type of mental health service, a lot of times my team does try and sort of maintain professional relationships with people in the community who we've had positive experiences with. And so, um, you know, if there's a need and we can help try and sort of facilitate some of that discussion, we might provide a family with some different ideas or resources to consider. I, I will say, you know, sadly, we don't have a magic wand. I can't necessarily just magically get you in somewhere or eliminate the waiting lists that do sadly exist. Um, but I will say, you know, I think many of us have built relationships over time with a number of services in the community. Um, and so we might have an idea, either hearing from the counselor or meeting the student ourselves as to who might be a good fit. Um, and then the other reality of that, and, you know, I think, Kind of stating the obvious but there is a piece that if you have a child who's really never been in any type of counseling outside of school there's also a piece that requires some patience and the fact that sometimes finding the right fit takes some time mm -hmm. and so depending upon the student's age or the needs or the presentation you know a lot of times i think we have to do some some dialogue with both the students and the parents just to sort of remind people you know you may not have the best experience the first time or the the first one might not be the right fit um it doesn't mean that we don't continue sometimes it's helpful to go back a couple times and you do find that that person is the right fit um if they're really not then we look at other options but to mary's point you know i think her team as well as mine we, we tag team a lot of those conversations um and try and sort of share kind of supporting of the student and the family um, and then the other piece that obviously, unfortunately, heavily influences a lot of those decisions is your insurance, mm -hmm. sadly. Um, and so, you know, there are instances where I think my team might say to, to a family, you know, I would work with your insurance provider to start and see who's in network, because understandably, a lot of families want to go in network. Um, and then within that, if there are people who we can say we've had positive experiences with, we might, we might do that. Um, I think the other piece that both the school counselors as well as my team often do is if a student is working with an outside therapist, you know, it's not uncommon for us to request a release of records and to be able to kind of collaborate and share with that clinician once they're in the picture so that we can make sure that we're on the same page and supporting the student. And I think from the parent perspective too, and I can just state this even from things that I've done with my kids, especially this past fall, like my mom passed away, their grandmother, and it was really rough for our family. And just kind of keeping them obviously like, right away emailing the teachers, the counselors, you know, I think the nurses brought into that was a lot of things that also had to do with one of my child that was really struggling, like that whole team, like keeping them in touch both ways. Um, and I've also have instances too, where I've emailed and communicated with our guidance counselor where this one kid presents like exactly like you said, Mary, like everything's fine at school, flies totally under the radar, would have no idea that the home life looks very different emotionally and behaviorally than it does at school. And it also can be vice versa. So I think keeping those lines of communication open is a really important piece of this because too, and the teachers too, because they know your kid, like when you have a conference, like these are these people are with your kids all day long. Like, you know what I mean? So they know your kid in a different way and they might see things and pick up on things too differently than what you might be seeing. So it really is kind of looking at um, these different roles, right? As, as, as team members, right? To be a supportive person for your kid because you are providing also, into, it goes both ways. Like the intel back and forth goes both ways. Absolutely. And you're, you know, for parents of elementary age kids, mm -hmm. your elementary school counselor knows your kid. Mm -hmm. They, you know, I, when you're an elementary school counselor, you've had these kids for six years. And so even though you might think my kid doesn't know the counselor, the counselor knows your kid. Yeah. They know their friend groups. They know their names. They teach them lessons in our district. They yep. teach eight lessons a year. So, um, don't hesitate to reach out because more than likely you're going to call and they're going to be like, I know Joey. Like, yeah, he loves basketball and he's, you know, so 
just as, and I'm, I just have to give a plug to my elementary team because I think sometimes the, just the, 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 pace of elementary school, like you, you don't think about that. You wouldn't think that the school counselor would know my kid unless there's a problem. That's not the case in elementary school. Mm-hmm. In elementary school, the elementary counselor knows all of their students. Oh, yeah. So I, I just wanted to sort of add that as like, so if you need to do a check with the counselor, more than likely that counselor is going to know them. And then that counselor also gets eyes on them at recess, mm-hmm. eyes on them in their special, because we have the ability to be anywhere at any time. It's like this superpower to the elementary kids. Like we just appear. Yes. And so. <laughs> oh, um, yes. We Our guidance really counselor was magically appearing anytime we need her. She's like, yep, I'm there. I got it. I'm like, how are you always able to be here? Yeah. But she was, and it was have, a godsend. We also have really big egos in elementary school because we're told we're beautiful and amazing all the time. Oh. The elementary kids. And so, but, but that's like a way to get eyes on your child in different settings yeah. that you wouldn't necessarily think about that as a parent. Like, mm-hmm. Where can I get additional feedback? Who are they sitting with at lunch? So there's, you know, there's all these things. And then I was, when I was an elementary counselor, I just, I was constantly talking with teachers. It might be quick in the hallway. Bobby's having a great day. Just want to let you know, Mrs. Wallen. Great. Good to know. Like we're constantly yeah. sharing data with each other all the time. So um, I just wanted to give that plug of like, particularly for our elementary folks, like I promise they know them really well. <laughs> that's what I was going to say no. when earlier you were saying that you kept using the term data collection. So that's what you mean. Like when you're saying we need to collect some more data, it's checking in with teachers, making some observations, doing those types of things. Yeah. Some of it's, some of it's empirical and some of it's anecdotal. Yeah. Okay. And, and the anecdotal, I think is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. I think there's really great value in those quick little updates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like how many times the kids are coming to also yeah. like how many times they're going to the nurse, how many times they're going to yeah. the counselor. You know, we get those frequent flyers uh, in elementary counseling world, just like the nurse does. Uh, and so, you know, we're always talking to your school nurse as an elementary counselor too. Um, it's really a very big wraparound team yeah. uh, that supports kids. Cause wow, your kid has a whole life that you don't really know about. They're at school all day. Like you don't really know about it. I don't know what you're doing. Like it's the same as like, they don't know what we're doing all day. Like, I don't know what, (laughs) you know, my kids think I do all day, but you know, (laughs) I I have no idea. And I really don't want to know probably, but you know, they have these whole lives and identities and friends and experiences that I'm not privy to. And I don't need to be because that's their own school life. Right. But there's, we know and can trust there are other adults that have eyes on them. So if you needed, yeah, you know, right. that support, it's there. Right. Yeah. I found out my daughter was a frequent flyer to the nurse, but never got a call from the nurse. Wow. And so I think she needed a break. Yeah. Right. So if that gave, that was a good piece of data for me. Yeah. Like, why yeah. were you, why are you down to the nurse so much? Mm-hmm. Uh, I needed a walk. Why do you need a walk? Well, math is hard. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know? Yep. So counselors, yep. counselors know that about kids. They like do. they know those types of things. So it's worthwhile to just, whenever your spidey sense as a mom or dad is up yep. and you just want to check in and you just want to like, Hey, can you just put eyes on my kid? Hey, um, the dog died. Please call and give us a heads up when the dogs die. Um, like <laughs> when, when these things happen, yeah. um, just life circumstances, mm. Uh, illness diagnosis, diagnoses, yeah. like all these things I always appreciated. And then you know what, too? Most of our, our, especially elementary land, the counselor will typically reach out or email during the day. Hey, I saw, um, I saw Susie. She's playing with her friends because we know you're worrying. We know you're at home worrying about them. But then sometimes just that quick, I would send a one sentence email. She's playing with friends out at recess, having a blast. She's good. Yep. That just brought your anxiety down. Totally. So another situation that we would like to explore a little bit more in detail was um, dealt with um, students and school and missing assignments and, and absences. So if I'm a parent and I have a child who does not want to go to school, and this is a shift because normally they enjoy going to school and they seem disinterested, you know, maybe missing some assignments and, and just sort of apathetic about school or school attendance, and perhaps I'm keeping them home more often um, than sending them to school, who would a parent reach out to um, and who might we be working with that's different from or in an, an addition to the school counselor, the prevention specialist, school nurse person? So you'll want to start with the school counselor and the classroom teacher again if it's in elementary. Uh, maybe you want to loop in the team of teachers um, 
at a secondary level, but really the school counselors who you're going to start that conversation with because they're going to start to gather information um, from teachers, but also from that student. So sometimes that's how we've learned that students have been nervous about a particular part of their day, a particular class. There's an issue with another student, and maybe it's a bullying referral that this is really what we're looking at. Um, and so we want to just gather some more information so to see if there's things that we can put in place. Oftentimes, more times than not, it is an easier fix, particularly in the younger grades. However, if this starts to become a pattern of behaviors, um, we will want to include our home and school visitor. And as Sarah had mentioned earlier, we have two currently in the district, one at the elementary level and our DCA, and then one at the secondary level. And they have access to additional supports and interventions that we can sometimes provide families um, when a, a child is really demonstrating school avoidance um, and, and the family needs strategies to get the student to school. And I think the only thing I would add to that is, is sometimes some of those supports and interventions can be put in place not only in the school environment, but in some instances in the home environment. Oh. Um, so there are instances where, you know, students are really struggling to attend school to a very significant degree. And perhaps the family is saying, we're struggling with our morning routine. We're struggling getting out the door. We're struggling with X, Y, and Z. Some of the services that are available, um, either through some county agencies or even through the IU, do provide some services more along the lines of mental health or behavioral health that not only take place within the school setting, but also within the home setting. Um, you can't really access those services independently, like you would need to have some conversation with the school-based team and, and our home and school visitors. Um, but the goal of those services is always, I would say, one, to obviously improve school attendance, um, but two, if there are other emotional needs that are contributing to how the child is functioning and their ability to attend school, that may be explored as well. Um, and some services or interventions would put into place. It's very much like detective work. You're sort of like, because you said that, you know, you're, you've got to put all these pieces of a puzzle together to kind of figure out what's the best way to approach this and, and what resource and who. And um, and even, so, you know, simply missing assignments and not coming to school on the surface looks easy or simple. But yet then Sarah and Mary, you both kind of went in and, hey, there's some things at home and then there's some other things. And so and it might be a situation that they don't want to be there because academically they're struggling in that class or there's issues with a relationship with somebody in that class. So. There really is a whole lot of detective work that goes on to come up with the best plan path forward. So I think that was, thank you. That was very helpful. Oh. And then I think that our next, we do have another, another situation. This is our last sort of scenario to look at. Um, and this one involves um, mental, perhaps mental health or substance use. So the question is, um, my child needs to be away from school. So that's already been, been set. And that my child's going to be in an inpatient setting. Um, and it may be something related to mental health or substance use. How do I work with the school now to navigate through my child being out of school, being in an inpatient setting, and still helping them to make sure that they're meeting their academic requirements and also building, I guess, the supports for their return when they come back out of that? And I know, Sarah, you mentioned that a little bit, so mm -hmm. it might be a place to kind of expand on that, what that looks like. Yeah, and I would say, I mean, it's, it's definitely a, a tandem or a shared conversation largely between the prevention specialist and the school counselors. What I will tell you is typically when we have students who are accessing treatment that prevents them from being in school, so whether that's a partial program or an inpatient program, um, a lot of times either a parent will notify us or to be truthful, if, if consents have been signed, facilities will notify us. Um, and so we can sort of be your liaison for lack of a better term in terms of trying to navigate or navigating some of the pieces that will need to take place in terms of making sure that attendance is documented correctly so that you're not getting communication that your child's not attending school when they physically can't attend school. Um, we will work very closely with the school counseling staff to sort of notify teachers to the degree that you're comfortable in terms of how long your child's going to be out for. And in some instances, kids may have access to schoolwork while they're not with us. There are other instances, depending upon the level of care, where kids don't have access to schoolwork. Um, and again, it also depends, I would say, K through 12, it looks a little bit different. We experience this probably with the most frequency at the high school level, not surprisingly. Um, we do experience this, though, to some degree at the middle school level and then far less at our elementary level. 
Um, but I share that because at the middle school and the high school level, you have several more teachers to need to interact with. Um, and so a lot of times it is a shared conversation between the prevention specialist and the school counselor. And then if the student has an IEP, we're likely including the IEP case manager to sort of make decisions regarding academic planning. Um, I think we often find it's hard to find the perfect balance of on one hand, we want to prioritize the child's mental health need and allow them to access the care that they need to. But for a lot of our kids, the missing of schoolwork or the yeah. lack of sort of assignments becomes really anxiety producing. Yeah. That it's like this very cyclical conversation where we need to, in some instances, provide some work, but then also most likely make some accommodations when they come back. Um, depending upon the actual program and also the school that we're talking about, some of our schools are set up to offer some transition planning in terms of like access to programs that you might be able to utilize. If you're a student who's in one of our comprehensive schools and you're part of our emotional support program, we may build in some additional support through that upon your return to school. Um, Downingtown East and Downingtown West actually mm -hmm. have created some, some really specific options for kids who don't have IEPs and are coming back to school from placements because they need a level of support during that period of time. Yeah. Um, I would say, Twofold, you know, one, a lot of this is very dependent upon how much information a student is willing to have shared and obviously how much a family is willing to share. Um, and certainly, I think within our role, as well as our school counselors roles, we're never looking to overshare or share more confidential information than what's helpful. But what I will say in some of our programs Sometimes it's really helpful for our teaching staff to understand a little bit about what's going on so that they can adequately support you when you return. Um, so I would say the prevention specialist, if your child is out, is probably the best place to start, um, but knowing full well that they are going to work very closely with your school counselor and then any other IEP mm -hmm. uh, team members if the student has not. And the school mm -hmm. counselor's role, as, as Sarah said, uh, tends to be more heavily academic in this uh, situation. Um, and I'll speak to the secondary experience because it's important that we hit our graduation goals. And so at the secondary level, what the counselor is doing is making sure we are doing everything in our power to hit the credits we need to hit so that the student is eligible because a hospitalization in ninth grade can impact that. Um, and how we would transition that student back to school and what classes they're taking and how we're adjusting things. So that is sort of what the counselor is doing in the background is advocating to teachers, talking with teachers, finding out where the classes are that they're strong in, where they're weak in, where we can excuse work, where we can't excuse work, all with the goal of hitting the credits that we need to hit both for the state of Pennsylvania and for Downingtown Area School District. So you can imagine then each student's a little bit different when they go into treatment during their four years can impact how that all happens. And so this is where our roles are really important. They work really closely together, but they're very different that the prevention specialist is really supporting that mental health transition, prioritizing the mental health, working with the treatment program, communicating with the family and the counselor is handling the school-based stuff that all still has to keep happening. And I will say we also often are in contact with those facilities. So assuming that a family has signed a release of information, we're doing our due diligence to try and speak with whomever. I'll be honest with you. It depends on the level of care in the facility as to whether or not we're talking to a therapist or a social worker or a transition coordinator. Um, but I will also say because of sometimes our experience and our knowledge of the community, I think sometimes the role that we also serve and also kind of knowing some of the students for longer than some of our treatment facilities do. Sometimes we can also sort of help a family to navigate the aftercare planning as well. So beyond just the supports and services that you might be looking to engage in the school day, but what is the aftercare plan going to include? Are we looking at an IOP program? Are we looking at, at some other individual outpatient therapy? Are we looking at family-based? Um, we sometimes can help a family to kind of navigate those systems as well. And they're not the easiest systems to navigate at this point in time, sadly. Um, and then I think the only other piece that I would sort of add to that, and again, it's kind of like the roadmap of people's services, for lack of a better term, is, you know, in the event that we have a student who's struggling for prolonged periods of time emotionally, you know, then it may be both the advocacy of the school counselor and the prevention specialist that maybe as a school-based team, we're talking to our school psychologist and saying, hey, yeah. 
do we need to look at anything further on the school side? If this is a regular ed student, is this something that we as a team need to look at whether or not we should be evaluating for any additional services within the learning environment? Yeah, thank you for saying that, Sarah. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, we've been, I've been talking about data because, um, you know, our roles aren't just these warm and fuzzy roles um, at all times. We like to think, I mean, we, we are warm and fuzzy when we need to be, but we also are in the background mm -hmm. looking to make sure that students, that we are removing barriers to students learning. And so the way that we do that is engaging certain services and certain processes. And so when a student is out for any type of hospitalization, that is a very big, like, wow, this student has a really major barrier right now. Um, when they come back, how are we going to manage that? Do we need to engage these other um, services and these other roles that we have within the district? So that is a big part of the conversation that's also happening here at school as well. Yeah, I mean, sadly, I don't think there's a, a great answer. Um, you know, and I've certainly had people both in my personal world and in my professional world at times look for various services in the community. I think for most families, um, the starting place is, is likely depending upon the need. And so if we're talking about a non-crisis situation, um, if we're talking about some therapeutic services or some counseling support on an outpatient basis outside of school, I think a lot of times families will start with just contacting their insurance provider to see who's local and who's in network. Um, you're always welcome to obviously reach out to one of us and just see if it's, you know, if the list is, is anybody that we know, if they're people we've had positive experiences with, I, I can tell you I don't have a very good poker face. So there are some people who I would be like, yeah, I'd go to them. And then there are other people that I'd be like, mm, who else is on the list? Um, I think beyond there, um, you know, I, I will say like I said earlier, there are a number of providers in our local area who do take insurance. Um, and I do think a lot of times our prevention specialists and also likely our school counselors have some knowledge of them. So certainly reaching out to one of us and asking our opinion can be helpful. Aside from your insurance company, I think sometimes families reach out to their primary care provider, not to be overlooked at all. It's always a great resource too. Um, I think there's also resources on, for example, like the county's mental health website. You can find some information regarding core providers and things of that nature. Um, there is actually, like for example, and I think it's actually linked to our website at this time, the Chester County Resource Guide, which does include some information regarding mental health and substance abuse providers. It's Here's the thing though, and especially post-COVID, there are so many providers out there who also have sort of shifts in their practice that it's really hard to keep up with, if mm. I'm completely honest. Um, so, you know, sometimes some of those resources that are created annually can be helpful. Um, but sometimes things change very quickly throughout the scope of the year. So I would probably say to a family who's looking at resources outside of school and isn't talking to the school, you know, I would start with your insurance company. I would talk to your primary care physician. Um, and, and then I'll be honest with you. I think a lot of people probably have conversations word of mouth. You know, I think there are a lot of also families in this community who are trying really hard to support one another. And so, you know, if you have a friend who maybe has gone through something with their child and they had a positive experience with a therapist or a provider, that information is, is valuable. Um, and, and likewise, I would say if you had a friend who had a negative experience, you might be like, well, I'm not going to that person. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do think there are also some providers out there who probably have better customer service than others. Um, and I think a lot of times that probably is dependent upon their staffing as well. There's, there's things that we can do. It's why it's always worth asking because the worst that's going to happen is us say no and we'll direct you somewhere else. But we, we may be able to help. We may be able to connect you. We may be able to connect you with another family. Like, you know, there's just, you don't know what you don't know. So Exactly. We say that all the time. You don't know what you don't know <laughs> all yeah. the time. Sarah, the Mary, other one, real quick, oh, Chrissy. Sorry, no, I was just going to say I didn't highlight um, psychology today. I yep. don't know why I Love it. on it. Um, Psychology Today is a great online resource that if you just go to their website, you can put in geographic area in terms of where you're looking, what type of service you're looking, what age range, what insurance. 
Um, you know, I think a lot of people have been able, I know I've used that tool from time to oh, time, yeah. just in terms of looking for a specialist in a specific area. There are a lot of providers on there and it's, it's definitely helpful to, to look at. So that's psychology today. Yep. That's a great one. Yep. This has been so helpful and awesome. Thank you, Sarah and Mary, for taking the time to sit with us and tell us yes. everything that you do, yes. which is a lot, a lot, a, a lot, lot, a lot. So Thank you so much for sharing all the information. And I think parents will really find this helpful to navigate the system. And also I think I find a lot of comfort knowing exactly like what you said, Mm -hmm. Bethann, in knowing like, wow, there's a whole team at school that I may not not interact with on a regular basis, but they're there and they're, they're watching my kid and making sure they're good while they're living this whole little life at school that I don't really know anything about, which is, (laughs) which is a good feeling. So that's a really good feeling. So thank you for being on here. And also thank you for everything that you're doing for these Little Absolutely. and big people at, at all yeah. K to 12. So. You are most welcome. I hope really just what comes across the most is that like we love kids. We wouldn't mm-hmm. be here yeah. every day if, right. if we didn't love kids. And, and I feel like we sometimes lose sight of that in terms of communicating about our roles. Yeah. I can tell mm-hmm. you all kinds of things. I can talk about the data. We can talk about assessment tools and community connections and big part of our job. But um, yeah. You absolutely have to love kids and, and want to help every kid succeed. And, and as like kind of trite and flippant as that sometimes is thrown around, it's, it's why we come every day. Oh, that is a great, great closing. I like that. That's, that's, that's important. Thanks, Mary. Thanks, Sarah. No problem. Sharing today. So thank you. Love working with you. I love working with you both. Yes. As you know. All right. So thank you everyone for joining us today. You will find information and links to everything we talked about in the show notes. And you can also follow me, Chrissy, on Instagram and Facebook to see more information related to the podcast, different resources, and our blog. That will be linked up too. Be sure to click subscribe or follow in your podcast app so you can stay up to date on our latest episodes. And if you are liking our podcast, we would love it if you would share it with a friend, tag us in social media. All of the sharing is appreciated. So Thanks again, and we will talk to you in two weeks. Bye.